Are you encouraged by Ingrid's message on motherhood? I want to encourage you to go to her website at ingridlockemeyer.com. That's I-N-G-R-I-D-L-O-C-H-A-M-I-R-E.com, where you can find an incredible resource that will help you tell your story. Ingrid is all about telling stories and honoring yours. So you can go to her website and subscribe uh, to her monthly notes that are intimate discussions from Ingrid, just as you received here. And it's content that is not found on the website. In addition to subscribing, you can get her tool to help you learn how to share intimate moments of your stories. Also, she is hosting a giveaway right now. And the winner of the drawing will not only receive um, the downloadable tool, but she will also send a brand new journal with a few surprises. So go to IngridLockemeyer.com and stay connected with her. Now, back to Ingrid's story. Welcome, friends, to the Life Beyond the Picket Fence podcast. I'm your host, Brenda Yoder, and I'm excited to start our second episode with my good friend, Ingrid Lockemeyer. In the first episode, we talked a lot about kind of your unexpected path as a mom, but also in that discussion was your um, personal story of losing your own mom, mm-hmm. not to death, but your own mom walked out on you at age three, right? Yes. Mm-hmm. And we talked how that has shaped your view of motherhood. And we talked about a fierceness, Ingrid, that you bring to to motherhood. Can you tell me a little bit more about that fierceness? It took a long time for me to realize that um, that was a one of the characteristics of my parenting model or role. My mom, when she left, um, like I said in the earlier episode, was she was battling her own issues but she didn't fight for her children. And that's the thing I think I took into my role as a mother, that um, the fierceness is to, not that it needs to be an obsession or a uh, characterize uh, my role as a mother, but um, just to fight for my, my kids, to fight my, for my young men, for um, their integrity, for their health, for their futures, and also, too, we were, you know, we, we have to realize that as we parent, we're also modeling for our children, whether they are boys or girls, their future mates, mm-hmm. what, they, what you hope that they will. Uh, so you want it to be a healthy thing, mm-hmm. but um, also that they can see how to relate to and interact with, in our case, a woman and, and you know, for daughters, men. And it's so important to have that. I would agree with that. I wrote about um, being a warrior uh-huh. in Fledge, launching your kids without losing your mind, centered on Psalm 127. Mm-hmm. And God talks about like arrows in the hands of warriors. Mm-hmm. And I often come back to that, just like what you're saying, this value of the role of motherhood is not about what it makes us feel like, or that we've somehow arrived, but it's hard. Like it is something you fight for. And I was just at a memorial service for one of my mentors. And I heard her adult son talk about 
his mom who loved hard. Oh, wonderful. And she was also a mom of three boys. And um, that's coming to my mind mm. as you were talking about this fierceness. When um, we were just talking right before we started recording, you were talking about how you did not see your own mom fight for you as children and how that impacted you. That is moms, we have to fight for that role. And that really struck me because I think there's a saying that I've seen before about it's easy to birth children, mm -hmm. but the role of motherhood is something that is not inherently just given to us when we have children. And I know in today's culture with the devaluing of motherhood, you know, sometimes moms are even referred to as uh, like a, a baby mommy or a baby mm -hmm. daddy mm -hmm. rather than this God honoring title of mother or father. So tell me a little bit more about how you have seen yourself kind of fight for motherhood. Well, my sons were very normal in that there came a, a point as they uh, were into their teen years that, um, you know, mom wasn't cool <laughs> and she wasn't necessarily uh, that, didn't seem that important to them um, as they were, and which is part of what needs to happen. I don't want them clinging to me and I don't want apron strings that tie them to me, but I didn't and I still don't. But yet at the same time, you have to um, fight for that relevance in their lives as they are maturing. And I think part of, I don't know, part of that battle includes releasing and trusting and accountability for sure. But as they would pursue their interests and, and uh, develop friend circles that we always were very intentional, as I know Brenda has been too, about uh, knowing who their friend circles are and caring about their friend circles. It's so important to care about who they care about mm -hmm. and to, um, you know, if we have red flags, of course, we need to be honest about that, but to let them know um, some of my young men's uh, childhood friends are still in my life. Mm -hmm. You know, they're still important and to, to be relevant in their circles. In addition to fighting for them, I was fighting for the people that, that they cared about. Um, they knew our doors were open always mm -hmm. to their friends. And there came a, a, a time, which I think we're going to talk about, when um, the fight took a turn mm -hmm. that was very crucial. Um, just a little bit about the four boys, um, 25 to 36. They uh, went off to college or went off to a trade school, uh, whatever it was that met their needs. And um, the, the oldest one married at 21. And our next son uh, didn't marry until just this last year. And then we have the younger two. Well, the oldest two, for reasons that I don't need necessarily to go into, but they have um, um, somewhat, they have an addictive gene um, that I didn't ever make it clear to them issues that I probably should have with their dad. Um, and I don't want to go into that either because I, I want to honor their, their dad. But um, ultimately what happened was that our oldest son uh, 
over time developed uh, a reliance on alcohol and um, ultimately it uh, caused him some real health problems. Mm -hmm. And then our second oldest son, as many young people do today, he struggled with anxiety and depression and ultimately uh, depersonalization, which is a, a very extreme condition that made it hard for him to function. And he is a very, all of my boys are talented, of course, but in my eyes, um, but he was working for a major record label in Nashville, Tennessee. And what kind of pressed in on him um, in his uh, late 20s, early 30s made it impossible for him to continue in that career. So I'm going to just stop for a moment because what you're starting to talk about is the heart of today's episode, which is really leaning into that appropriate role of motherhood with your young adult or adult children who are in crisis. And it's really important for us to, to talk about this because so many young adults and adults are living with mental health issues. And in my own private practice, but also as I talk with moms and as I host the Fledge Forum and really hear from moms across the country who have raised their kids and their kids have left or their kids are in college or even teens, there's, there's a huge increase in mental health issues with depression, anxiety, addiction. You mentioned two um, addiction and anxiety, severe anxiety, to the point that it becomes debilitating. And, and that's what I'm talking about when I'm talking about in crisis is when um, crisis and motherhood and young adult and adult children, kind of the question is when do moms step in in a way that is healthiest for their children, not the fine line between enabling or codependency? And I know in Fledge and in the Fledge form, this is something we often talk about, but I wonder if you could share with me in a way that might be helping a mom who's listening about some things that you have learned about stepping in with your, your young adult and your adult boys, because both of them had moved away, were living successful lives, but then they came home to live with you. And Ingrid, this is one reason why I'm so excited for you to share, because I have seen you as a friend do this in a very healthy way. And I saw that in both instances, you brought both of your sons home for a period for them to be able to become stable and become healthy. And then at the time that they were healthy, you help them step back into a life. I think many times in our efforts to help our children, we take control of their life in a way that is unhealthy and we actually enable their addiction or we we enable a um, unhealthy pattern of living that actually prevents them from healing and from moving forward. So I'm going to turn the mic over to you and I want you to share um, part of your journey of helping both of your sons become healthy. Okay. First, you need to know it was my husband and me together. I'm speaking from my role as a mother, but um, we were totally um, in agreement with how to address both of these situations. And uh, when the younger of the two sons needed to uh, have a restart. And that's how we looked at it. It wasn't 
anything that we saw as a long-term thing, but he just needed a restart. And he needed us to walk with him through some health issues that were coming upon him because of the anxiety. And I actually went to Nashville, loaded him up and brought him home. And he lived with us for about a year. And during that time, um, we uh, researched together and found ways to address his anxiety and the resulting uh, depersonalization that were uh, not dependent on drugs, although eventually he had to use uh, medication to help with that. So we walked with him through that. Dietary changes, um, spiritual enlightenment for him. The Lord absolutely met him in his deepest, darkest place and um, grew his faith beyond where I think he would be today had he not had this collision with anxiety. And he still, he still lives with it day to day, but um, has learned how to, uh, how to manage it in his daily life. He's a new daddy and a new husband. And I, I created a list that I really want to share with you of things that I learned through our year with him that honestly helped us and set us up for the next child that needed to come home for a period of time. I, I found myself praising God for the things that I was seeing in the struggles with, with the son who was home with anxiety. And these are things that God showed me that I could do to, as mom, to assist our son in his healing. Uh, I needed to stop looking at him as if he was broken. It was important to him to not have sympathy poured on him all the time. I could be empathetic, but I needed to not look at him as a broken person and to stop always asking him if he's okay. That's something that um, is so important, even with our kids who are not in crisis. Yes. As you're mentioning that, I am thinking about my own conversations with my kids who are in college and even some teens sometimes when they show their vulnerability to us and then we as moms hover and become helicopter parents, we actually dehumanize them. Absolutely. Yeah. So I just, and that's becoming a new term that I'm starting to use because it truly is what we do. We actually dehumanize them when we become a helicopter parent because we take away their value their opportunity to grow and to persevere. Mm -hmm. And that is how God created us as, as humans. He created us to persevere and push through and problem solve. And so I just want to affirm that in you, Ingrid. Um, I'm so thankful that you mentioned that. Well, and as we look back on it with him now, it was his battle, not ours. And it was his victory, not ours. You know, we're not fixing him. He's the Lord. He and the Lord are in this fixing him. And so if I was going to stop asking him always if he was okay, I needed to make myself aware of the clues that said, you know, told me what he needed, if he was struggling or if he needed rest or if he needed support, if he needed encouragement um, or, you know, whatever, whatever that, that day. When his condition was limiting his productivity at home, because eventually he went back to work for my husband as part of his season of healing, I needed to, and my husband needed to extend him grace in those times and not make him feel guilty for not holding up his end of the deal um, and gently guide him into habits that could help him break through or at least endure 
the, the things he was going through, the depression and the anxiety and the depersonalization. Um, it was okay to remind him, um, which I didn't really need to because he was very vigilant, but dietary things and rest, things that he needed. And to talk about the positive things that I was seeing that him doing to affirm the things that he was doing that showed he was taking responsibility for his own healing to ask his opinion and solicit his help at home to make him feel needed like he was contributing to our home because I didn't need to be his servant. He didn't want a servant. Um, I don't think any kids do. I think actually <laughs> all, of our, all of our kids need to know that they are useful and God created us to tend the garden because we live in a sinful world. We are created mm -hmm. for work and that gives it gives value to our life. The other thing I wanted to know also is talking about the positive things with him. Again, no matter what we're doing with our children, um, pointing out their growth, that's mm -hmm. something as a coach and as a counselor is really important to me as I hear clients. They tend to think they're not doing well or they're not moving forward when I hear them share things. And when we can help other people see their growth, it is so powerful. I don't think the enemy wants us to know that we're growing or to see what we're growing. And that is so incredibly important. It is. It is. And he didn't need me to. Um, there were days when I was very sad about what I was seeing happening with our son. And he, he, he knew I was sad, but he also, um, I didn't want him to feel responsible for my reactions to uh, to what I saw in him. And so I tried to speak positively and to let him know that I had confidence and hope in a positive outcome, you know, never, never letting him think that, that we would ever give up on his healing and his recovery from what he was going through. Is there anything else in the particulars of what, what you learned that was helpful to you? Oh my, well, praying and being in the word and not neglecting my own um, needs. Uh, it's, you know, you, you want to pour everything into your child and your, your concern for them. They're your flesh and blood. I had fledged him. I had released him. I needed to not take him back in and let him um, affect my health. Uh, of course, it, it did somewhat, but it was it was walking a fine line to not have despair sometimes and not let go of those things that I knew were healthy for me because I was spending more time and attention on him. I still needed the things I was telling him he needed, I needed in my life too. That's so incredibly important because um, I think the view of motherhood sometimes can be that we are just supposed to give sacrificially mm -hmm. and that we kind of pour from a, a fountain that has a bottomless pit, which is not realistic. And you mentioned prayer and time with God and just your own physical and mental health and spiritual health. Mm -hmm. And then because you were doing that, that probably helped you when you got a very unexpected call mm -hmm. when your oldest one was in crisis. Yes. Yeah, um, we were aware that our oldest son was struggling with some things. Um, his marriage had had um, fallen apart. There was plenty that happened up until the point where um, there was no no answer but to 
bring him home. And um, he was living in Chicago at the time, and he had uh, he had other health issues that contributed to this. So I don't want to lay it all on um, the addiction, but certainly that's what pushed him to the point where he wound up in an emergency room in Chicago. And I, my husband and I drove up in the middle of the night and spent the next two weeks with him there at the hospital where he was fighting for his life. Mm -hmm. And it was not because he had done anything intentional to, uh, to put his life in jeopardy. It wasn't that. It was the health issues had caught up with him mm -hmm. and the addiction. And so he was in hospitals for several weeks and then you eventually brought him home for rehab and he was home for how long? He, he came home uh, the end of November. Um, we joke, we spent Thanksgiving, my husband and I at a taqueria in Chicago because it's the only place we could find open. Um, and he came home for first eight months of, of the next year. But, and then by uh, September um, of the following year, he was well enough to, moved back to Chicago into his own apartment, job hunting because his position with a company there had ended, uh, not by his fault, but the company was sold. So it was a rather perilous time for him, but um, he was very ready to step back out into his life and his world, uh, a much, much healthier, happier man mm -hmm. than we had seen him for a very long time. You truly were in a position where you had to fight for the physical and mental health Absolutely. for both of your sons. Yes. Mm -hmm. And again, you helped walk this fine line with them of helping them have as much control and choice in their own life while being the role of a mom who is kind of the role of our Heavenly Father of giving us control and choice and not micromanaging everything in our life so that everything goes perfectly. And as we finish up kind of our, our talk together for these two episodes of valuing motherhood, you actually shared with me a little bit before we recorded that the most important things that you learned about motherhood were actually from your father. Uh, would you share a little bit of that with us? I was just thinking about I, my stepmother was very dear to me and I almost never called her stepmother. She was my mother. And so certainly she was a model um, in so many ways. But when I think about growing up, all of my best, happiest, most um, warm memories of my childhood are involved my dad. And he was fierce and he was present. Um, my dad passed away a year ago at 90 and um, he was uh, a key figure in my life. And honestly, um, my husband certainly was a, a model for what I uh, hoped and prayed our sons would grow up to be. But my dad, my dad, definitely, he modeled that commitment and fierceness and sacrifice and engagement. Uh, he was a lot of fun. We did art classes together, um, just, just, uh, he was not perfect, but he was darn near close. <laughs> and so, yeah, he was definitely an influence in my, in my character as a mother. What a beautiful picture that motherhood is very complex. And even, yes. um, as we look at our heavenly father, I know a lot of people 
talk about God as father, but God also having qualities of motherhood, of nurturing and kind of that steadfastness and um, what a, what a blessed gift we have to be able to look to our heavenly father and his character for how to model um, our parenting, not only as mothers, but also for fathers too. And I love that picture of you learning about this fierceness and yet also a playfulness and a sacrificial love that you receive from your earthly mm -hmm. father, especially when your mother was not present mm -hmm. for you. Well, I wish we could chat here for a long time and maybe we'll do that another time. Maybe we'll do a topic about raising boys. Mm. I think that might be it a topic be fun. <laughs> um, to do. I think we have seven boys between us and I'm so grateful to introduce you to Inger Lockemeyer, who is a speaker and an author, and you can find out more about her at IngridLockemeyer.com. Yes. You can also connect with her on Facebook or Instagram. Instagram and share this podcast, especially with moms who are struggling with kids who are in the midst of really hard times. So thank you so much for joining us in this series on valuing motherhood. And we will talk to you again. Thank you for joining us here for Life, Faith, and Family Beyond the Storybook Image.